0: A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am so glad you joined us on the program today. We're going to be talking about uh, an update in this lawsuit that was filed uh, starting last year by the Mexican government against more than a dozen major U.S. gun makers, uh, basically blaming them. Uh, For the cartel violence in Mexico, a $10 billion lawsuit that, uh, if it is not explicitly designed to bankrupt the firearms industry, that would be an unintended benefit for the gun control lobby that is aiding the Mexico government in this litigation. Uh, Before we get to that story, however, with the political pressure on the left and the woke mob that is the Democrat Party these days, our society has become controlled by the cancel culture elites. Since one of the founders of our Constitution, the American flag, Dr. Seuss, and many other things become anti-American, there has never been a better time in our nation's history to stand up against the woke mob and fight back, and you can do just that with this exclusive officer, I'm, uh, offer that I'm giving my listeners for a limited time only. Now, is your chance to win a signed picture by President Trump himself. That's right. Not only will you be taking a stand against the radical left, you'll be entering to win a piece of history. And all you have to do is text the word TRUMP. To 55404 today. That's T R U M P to 55404. Uh, and you can join the millions in standing up for President Trump and canceling the radical left once and for all. Paid for by the National Republican Senatorial Committee. All right, let's get to today's uh, big topic this uh, story, uh, this lawsuit rather, filed by the Mexican government. So, what happened on Monday is we saw a new round of briefings uh, into U.S. District Court in Boston, Massachusetts, including. 13 Democratic Attorneys General uh, who are siding with the Mexican government. We also had briefs from the nation of Belize. uh, And I believe uh, there were two other uh, countries as well. uh, Antigua and uh, Barbuda. One other country and uh, Belize. uh, Both filing separate briefs along with the alongside the Democratic Attorneys General. Arguing that this lawsuit should be kept alive it should not be tossed out because of the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, the 2005 law passed on a bipartisan basis in Congress that precludes these types of junk lawsuits against the firearms industry seeking to hold them accountable for the criminal misuse of their products. Now, this should be pretty simple, right? But the uh, 13 Democratic attorneys general say, well, um, actually, uh, they could still—Mexico's government, I mean, they could still sue because— This doesn't apply to, you know, crimes that take place outside of the United States. And even if it does apply to crimes that take place outside of the United States, well, the Mexican government could sue under a couple of state laws, which is really confusing. But again, these Democratic attorney generals know that this is one of their best opportunities to try to obliterate the U.S. firearms industry. Because if the firearms industry can be held responsible For the cartel violence in Mexico, then they can be held responsible for the violent crime in places like Chicago or Baltimore. No matter how restrictive the gun control laws might be, if a gun that was legally sold is eventually used in a crime somehow, somewhere, and the gun control lobby can pin that back on the firearms industry, then there's really no way that the gun industry is going to be able to remain in business, and there's no way for our right to keep and bear arms to remain intact. If we cannot acquire a firearm, it's kind of hard to exercise your right to keep and bear it, after all, isn't it? So these uh, companies, again, make it what I think is a fairly weak argument. And while we have not seen an official response from the uh, firearm companies themselves or the National Shooting Sports Foundation to this latest round, of court filings back in August when this lawsuit was originally filed, the NSSF did respond, uh, and I want to read part of their response here because I think it really does get to the heart of the issue. Mexico's government claims that uh, basically a huge majority of the guns that are recovered in Mexico came from the United States and were basically trafficked, right, uh, that they were intended uh, to go south of the border here. Well, the National Shooting Force Foundation points out that uh, less than 12% of the guns that Mexico seized in 2008, for example, have been verified as coming from the United States. In 2008, approximately 30,000 firearms were seized from criminals in Mexico. Of those 30,000, only 7,200, or about 24%, were submitted to the ATF for tracing. And NSSF says that's because only these firearms were likely to have come from the U.S., a determination made by the presence of a U.S.-mandated serial number in the firearms make and model, requirements under federal law as part of the Gun Control Act of 1968. So why trace a gun? Uh, Why ask the ATF to trace a gun that you know didn't come from the U.S., right? So that brings the number again down from 30,000 to 7,200. Of these 7,200 firearms that were submitted for tracing, the NSSF says, only about 4,000 or 13% of the 30,000 in total could be traced by the ATF, of which roughly 3,480 or 12% of the 30,000 total firearms that were seized came from the United States. And as Innocent points out, although 3,480 is approximately 90% of the farms that were successfully traced, it hardly is the mythical 90% of total farms recovered. And it gets worse than that. As they go on to say, less than 12% of the guns, excuse me, uh, they say that the 12% figure is uh, even an overestimation of the true number of farms from the United States because the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars pointed out that many of these serial numbers that were submitted for tracing were submitted to the ATF multiple times, some as many as five times each. The ATF itself has noted that more than 20% of the firearms that were submitted for tracing are duplicates. As the NSSF says, with such errors distorting the statistics, it's clear that even fewer than 12% of these firearms originated in the U.S., and of the small number that did come from the U.S., many did not come from retail firearm sales. Furthermore, they write, of those firearms successfully traced, on average they were sold at retail 14 years earlier and following an FBI background check, which dispels the notion often repeated by the press that there is a flood of recently purchased firearms heading into Mexico from the United States. Look, it may very well be that the uh, cartels uh, try to acquire uh, U.S. firearms however they can. Um, But we also know that the cartels are not limited to simply uh, whatever they can illegally acquire from U.S. gun stores. As a matter of fact... Right now, we're actually seeing cartels increasingly use bomb-equipped drones. There are reports of the Mexican cartels using landmines now. And just a few years ago, the Jalisco cartel shot down a Mexican military helicopter with a rocket-propelled grenade, something that I have never run across at my uh, local Bass Pro. So, in fact, you know, I talk about the Jalisco cartel. One of the things that we're seeing here south of the border is the current administration, the uh, administration of uh, Obrador, uh, AMLO, uh, as he's called, I think trying to pin the blame for cartel violence on U.S. gunmakers in order to take some of the heat off of himself. The AMLO administration has instituted a policy of hugs, not bullets. And that's their phrase, not mine. Basically, uh, we're going to love the cartels to death. We're not going to fight the cartels. We're not going to you know, combat the cartels. We're just going to love them and open up our arms and say, come here, come here, let me give you a hug. And this is not playing out well south of the border. Uh, you've got uh, basically warring cartels now, and with the Mexican military just sort of inserting itself between these two groups and allowing these two groups to do whatever they want as long as they stay in their own territory. Yeah. A, the cartels aren't listening. But B, you can imagine what's happening to people who dare to resist the cartels in the territory that that the Mexican government is allowing them to control. This is from The Guardian, which is hardly a conservative news outlet. Security analyst Alejandro Hope says the government strategy is clearly, quote, some sort of non-aggression pact. He said there's something like an increasingly explicit attempt to administer the conflict. The soldiers are not there to disarm the two sides, but rather to prevent the conflict from spreading. The problem is that we don't know where the army draws the line, what they're willing to accept. Apparently they're willing to accept a lot. Because as the Guardian points out, in the mountain township of uh, Aguililla, which is now dominated by the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, almost 200 soldiers have been barricaded into their command post by angry residents for four months. The army has been flying in food. For the troops by helicopter, since town people used construction vehicles to blockade the army barracks last June. Across Mexico, soldiers have been taken hostage by townspeople because they know the troops won't even defend themselves under President André Manuel López Obrador's policy of hugs, not bullets. Yeah. So, if the Mexican military is hunkered down, and they're not willing to take on the cartel, and it's gotten to the point that you now have people in Mexico who are so pissed off that they're protesting, they're barricading soldiers in their barracks. Uh, you you can imagine the political fallout for the Obrador administration, right? And you can imagine why they would really want to be able to tell the people in Mexico, not our fault! It's not our problem! We're out there offering hugs, not bullets, but it's those evil gun makers north of the border that are getting in the way and really responsible for what the uh, cartels are doing to you and to your families and to your communities. There is another problem with that argument, by the way. Uh, and I, I, you know, for, forget about the protection of lawful commerce. I forget about all these legal arguments. I'm just looking at this from a common sense perspective. If U.S. gun makers and U.S.-made firearms, were really the driver of cartel violence south of the border. Why are they not driving cartel violence here in the United States? I mean, we know the cartels are operating in the United States, and if anything, access to U.S.-made firearms would be easier here in the United States, right? So why is it that last year, for example, Juarez, Mexico, had some 1,400 homicides? Well, just across the border, in El Paso, Texas, there were about 30. Why is that? If U.S. gun laws and U.S. firearms and our Second Amendment and gun companies alone were to blame for the violence in Mexico, Why wouldn't El Paso's homicide rate look a lot more like Juarez? It's easier to get guns in El Paso than it is Juarez, right? And if U.S.-made guns are fueling the violence in Juarez, then why is El Paso one of the safest big cities in the United States? doesn't make any sense to me. Because ultimately, the people responsible for the cartel violence in Mexico are the cartels themselves. But you also, I think, have to include the corruption and the graft that is endemic, not only within the Mexican government, all layers of Mexican government, by the way, from the village mayor all the way up to, you know, uh, cabinet secretaries, and the Mexican military as well. You know, we have seen, actually, large numbers of firearms that actually did come from the United States that were legally sold to either the federal government of Mexico or to Mexican police agencies, and those guns were then diverted into the hands of the cartels. We know that this is happening. We know that this is taking place. And we also know that the AMLO administration wants to blame U.S. gunmakers for that, as opposed to actually blaming the individuals in Mexico who are engaging in this type of activity? Again, I, I understand why the AMLO administration wants to pin the blame on US gun makers. I understand why the US gun lobby is so invested in uh, delivering a, a verdict here against the US firearms industry. I understand the motivations. I also understand why their argument is so wrong. And I feel, I feel for the people of Mexico who are subjected to this uh, political witch hunt that isn't going to do anything to make them safer? I mean, honestly, honestly, does anybody associated with this lawsuit believe that if they were successful, let's say they got their $10 billion verdict against the firearms industry tomorrow. Let's say that the verdict was a trillion dollars and the U.S. gun industry shut down overnight. Does anybody really believe that the cartels would be affected in any way? I don't. I don't. They'll continue to get their guns on the black market. They'll continue to get their ammo on the black market. They'll probably start making their own guns, uh, which, frankly, is, is probably a development that's coming whether we like it or not. If they're making uh, a bomb-equipped drones, yeah, they can, they can make their own firepower. Now, I don't think that the gun control lobby is really interested in trying to solve the cartel violence in Mexico. They're, they're more interested in trying to eradicate our right to keep and bear arms. But the Amlo administration does have a vested interest in improving public safety south of the border. It is uh, just a crying shame that they're trying to do this at the expense of our right to keep and bear arms, when quite frankly, they should be working to expand the right of the people to own firearms for self-defense south of the border. You know, Mexico's gun control laws, the the one-gun store in the entire country located on an army base. Yeah, that's not working out, is it? It's not preventing the cartels from getting a hold of whatever they want. It's really not even preventing the average citizen from illegally obtaining a firearm. But it is preventing them from legally being able to protect themselves with anything other than a twenty-two caliber rifle or a thirty-eight caliber revolver. We're gonna keep our eyes on this story uh, and this case going forward, but uh, yeah, just wanted to give you an update here that the the left is definitely embracing this lawsuit because they know that it has the potential uh, to. Um, I I you know I I don't like to be hyperbolic, but this really does have the potential to destroy the domestic firearms industry here in the United States, and that is exactly what these gun control activists want. All right, turning our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. Let's start here, Chicago Sun-Times. How did the 16-year-old accused of killing Melissa Ortega, who was eight years old, get probation for three armed carjackings? It's a great question, and I, I think the answer is because the Cook County criminal justice system is broken. Like many of our uh, criminal justice uh, systems in cities across the country. Uh, In this particular case, we're looking at a 16-year-old who was charged with three counts of carjacking this last year, Emilio Cripio. He was able to plead guilty to one count of uh, delinquency in exchange for uh, one case being lowered to possession of a stolen vehicle. The other two cases were dismissed outright. And Crippio, who should have been sent to prison, was instead given three years probation. And just a few months later, he allegedly pulled a gun, as the uh, Chicago Sun-Times says, turned a peaceful street into a shooting gallery. Targeting rival gang members, hitting one of them in the back, leaving him hospitalized in critical condition, but also striking eight year old Melissa Ortega in the head as she ran beside her mom, trying to escape the gang violence there in Chicago. This is a crime that could have been prevented. Not by making it uh you know illegal for somebody to buy a gun without a background check, or by imposing a ten day waiting period, or by banning magazines over ten rounds, no. This crime could have been prevented. Melissa Ortega could be alive today if the criminal justice system had simply done its job. I, I don't know too many people outside of the uh, the wokest of the left who would say that a 16-year-old uh, accused of three carjackings should be able to plead guilty to basically possession of a stolen car and walk away on probation. And yet that's not just what happened in the case of this particular 16-year-old, but that's with juvenile defendants accused of violent crimes every day in Cook County and a lot of other jurisdictions around the country. Now, I'm not one to say, listen, uh, a 16-year-old committed a violent crime, we'll we'll put him in prison for the rest of his life. We should try to rehabilitate young offenders if we can. But if we can't, we absolutely need to take them off of the streets so they cannot do any more damage to themselves or others. It's just that simple now today's armed citizen story from rainier oregon this was early sunday morning police uh, got a call about a burglary by the time they got there it had turned into a shooting call a homeowner reported a man broke into his home assaulted him shot at him thankfully missed the homeowner but the uh, homeowner was able to fire back and uh, did strike the suspect who was taken to local hospital he is facing charges the homeowner is not uh, I don't have a whole lot of details here, and we may not get any. Quite frankly, this seems pretty cut and dried, but uh, certainly glad that that homeowner in Oregon uh, able to protect themselves and uh, ended up unharmed and safe as a result. Finally today, our good deed of the day. And I got to tell you, this one, man, boy, this one got me right in the feels when I uh, ran across it from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Not a big news story. In fact, I, th- this wouldn't have even popped up in most towns. But uh, the Chattanooga paper has a police blotter. Yeah, they actually have a police blotter where they go through, you know, all of the calls. And this was one of the calls that an officer responded to on Monday. A wellness check on uh, Signal Mountain Road in Chattanooga. When the officer got there, the woman he was talking to said that she had aged out of foster care. She was currently homeless, living in her car. And she asked the officer, what do I do? What what, what options do I have? And he could have just said, well, ma'am, I'm sorry. You know, that, that sucks. It's hard. Uh, and I'm really sorry you're going through it, but uh, you don't have a lot of options. But that's not what he said. He he found out that she had a valid housing voucher. She's working at a job, and he said, "Okay. The bad news is right now there are no options for shelters right now. the The inn is full." Uh, he said, "But here's a blanket. Um, I'm going to come back this afternoon. And." We're going to uh, get you set up for housing because we're not going to let this go, even though the officer could have. We don't know how the story ended. We don't know how this situation got resolved. But uh, I I am hopeful that this woman, who, again, I I can't imagine being in that situation, uh, aging out of foster care. and all of a sudden, you really are on your own. Who knows what, if any, safety net you have. From family or friends, you're working, you're trying to do it, you're trying to to get your life in order, and it's tough. I, I I'm so glad that that officer was there, and willing and able to take the time to say, "Listen, we're not just going to let this go." So don't know who the officer is, but I'm glad that uh, they were there in the right place at the right time, willing able to do the right thing, and I hope and pray that uh, this young woman uh, is able to get on her feet, get her life started. Sounds like she's already taken steps in the uh, right direction. She might need a little a boost, a little assistance, and I hope that she gets it. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program. As always, I would also encourage you to head over to BearingArms.com throughout the day for even more Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. If you like what you see, you can always become a VIP subscriber. Just go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership, which will also give you exclusive analysis, news stories, content you just won't find anywhere else. It's our way of saying thank you for supporting the pro-Second Amendment independent journalism that we do here at Bearing Arms. Your support really does mean a lot to us, and I thank you very much. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free.